Matthew chapter 23, I'm preaching to you on the subject this morning, looking good, looking good. Verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto the whited sepulchres, which indeed appear to be beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also, even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you, uh, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Bacharias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here. And Lord, first of all, I want to surrender myself to you completely. Lord, I, I don't want to be seen this morning, but I pray that your power would be very evident in my life. And Lord, I ask as I preach that I would preach with clarity of mind. I pray, Father, that I would preach with purity of heart. And Lord, I ask that I would be a pure and clean vessel before you. And Lord, I pray I would not do this in my own strength, for I can't. Lord, I'd ask that you be with these dear and precious people. I pray that you would encourage their hearts through this message for them to search their own heart. For, uh, for us as a people to be able to see what we really are. And then the desire to be more like you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see what your word has laid out for us. And I, I do ask, Lord, that if there is anybody here that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would come to know you. That lives would be changed. We ask you for it in thy name we pray. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated. <clears throat> It's been said that there are three stages to life. 
When you're young, people say to you, hey, good looking. When you're middle-aged, people say to you, hey, looking good. When you die, people say, man, doesn't he look natural? <laughs> That's the three stages to life, right? Physical appearance is, is a natural concern for all of us. And I think any people with any self-respect want to look nice. But it can become wrong when that is something that you're overly concerned with. The issue in our society today is that we're obsessed with looking young and staying young and vibrant and we've got all these creams and got these procedures to tuck this and tighten this and all this different kind of thing, you know, and we got to puff this up and we got to trim that down and we got to uh, suck that out and we got, you know, we want to look good. But what's happened really in our society is that our physical appearance has become more important than our character. This is not the only area of life that the outward appearance can take precedent over who we really are as a person. See, what seems to happen in the Christian life, friends, is, is that many times that we're more concerned with our outward appearance, that becomes the central issue instead of the inner man. There's a trap to be more concerned with your reputation. Everybody talks about their reputation. There's a trap to be more concerned with your reputation than to be more concerned with your character. And this is exactly what Jesus is dealing with. See, your reputation is what people think about you. And we always want people to think the best about us. And there's not anything inherently wrong with that. But when it becomes the central focus, there's a problem. Your reputation is what others think of you. Your character is what you really are. You've heard it said, what you are in the dark by yourself is really what you are. And Jesus is dealing with church folks here. That's who he's dealing with. He's dealing with the religious leaders. He's dealing with, you know, pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, if you will. I know I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but the, the church people of the day, that's who he was dealing with. And the Pharisees, they lived for rep reputation, not character. But let me give this to you. When you take care of your character, your reputation will take care of itself. When you take care of your character, your reputation will take care of itself. Guys, I don't have an outline. So you can pull that down. Uh, that was actually last week. Um, but thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. If I need to preach that one again to you guys up in the sound room, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so, <laughs> you know. But hey, if you liked it that much, go watch it on YouTube, all right? Um, sorry, guys. I, I, didn't, I should have communicated that with you. That was, that was our mistake here. So didn't mean to mess you up. Um, 
But, but my point is that if you take care of your character, your reputation will take care of itself. And there are some markers that you can take a look at in your life. You say, how do I know if I'm more concerned about my reputation than I am my character? There's some markers from this passage that can show that you're more concerned about your reputation than your character. And this passage, it really, it, it breaks it down for us to, to help us diagnose if we are really hypocritical in our life. Now, with taking a look at from the first century to the 21st century, I've got to be able to bridge that gap for you. I've got to be able to take you from the time where Jesus was to where you're living. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at that. And I want you to take a look and see if some of these markers are in your life. I, I want you to self-diagnose. You know, we do that a lot now, don't we? We can go to Google and say, man, I've got this pain in my back. What is it? You know, you can go to Medical MD and you can find out what it is. I wouldn't suggest that. Um, Self-diagnosis many times, uh, you'll end up worse off than, than you were in the first place. Uh, but you can, through the work of the Holy Spirit, diagnose because of the Word of God right here. You've got, if you will, you've got Dr. Jesus right here to be able to diagnose if there is hypocrisy in your life, if you're more concerned about your reputation than your character. First, you say, what is that? Number one, write this down if you'd like to take notes. You're internally dirty. You're internally dirty, not eternally, internally. I-N, okay? And Jesus uses the cup and the platter here, the cup and the, the plate, to drive home the point in verses 25 and 26. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. This dish uh, was used to, to serve food, and the cup was used to serve drink, and a normal person would never use a dirty cup or dirty uh, to be able to serve food or, or, uh, or drink. I mean, when I got this uh, this morning and I, I poured this or somebody poured this for me this morning, I hope that it was a clean cup. It looks clean, um, but I, I, if it was dirty, I wouldn't want to drink out of it. Uh, that's just not, it's not proper. It's, it's it, you know, that, that's, that, that's disgusting. You don't know what, what it could be. To use a, a plate or a cup that's defiled, whatever you put in it becomes defiled, Right? So, so if this cup, even though it was fresh water, and fresh water was put in a dirty cup, what happens to the water? The water becomes defiled. And what happens too many times in our life is if there's internal dirtiness inside of us, whatever we put in becomes dirty as well. He says in verse 25 that the, the cup and the platter, the dish, were full of extortion excess. Extortion has to do with the idea of plundering and pillaging. It has to do with robbery. And excess has to do with the lack of self-control, and it's many times used for self-gratification, unrestrained self-gratification. And so those, the religious leaders, those who were supposed to be serving the people, you know, as a religious leader, used to serve the people. I, I'm here to be able to help serve God's people. That's part of the ministry that God's given to me. But instead of serving the people, what they were doing was they were robbing the people. And then they were, they were doing things to the people or taking things from the people for self-gratification. That the, 
that religion had all become something for them to gain wealth, for them to gain self-gratification, for them to gain a position. They were plundering the souls and the purses of God's people. The word outside, we know it has to do with the surface. And the inside has to do with the contents. See, these religious leaders, and what I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of, that in many churches today, we're more concerned with, uh, with the outside than the inside. They were religiously pure. They did everything right according to the law. They were ritually pure, but it was at the expense of being internally pure. See, they were dirty internally. I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 23, if you would, please. They had known sin in their life, and they were covering it up with outward appearance. See, when I say, are you, dirty, are you dirty internally, is there known sin in your life? You know that you lied to your boss this past week. You weren't sick. You took a sick day, but you weren't sick. Well, I, you know, it's just, I needed some time off. Well, lying's lying. You lied. That's a known sin. Maybe there's a known sin that you just like to share a lot of prayer requests. I'm sorry, it's not a prayer request. It's called gossip. It's a known sin. Or you took something that was not yours. You knew it wasn't yours. It's a known sin. You knew that you you had wrong motives for what you did to be able to get an advantage over somebody else, but you did it anyway. It's a known sin. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you this morning to sit there and be so introspective that you're like, okay, is there any sin in my life? I, I think I'm good. I think. No, we're talking about known sin. Is there known sin in your life? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. This is the idea of having wrong motives right here. It's even though that the host may invite you to enjoy his hospitality. If he's begrudging in his heart, he's not really hospitable. And you would be well to be wary of him. If the host is putting on a show of hospitality, but his giving is not heartfelt, there must be some ulterior motive. And the guest at his table should find a way to excuse himself. See, folks, most of us in here that have been Christians for a while, a long, long time, we know, we know all the outside sins. We know that we're not to do them. We know how to, to, to skirt the issue there. 
You know, like a new Christian, a new Christian, they, they, they get saved and, and, you know, maybe they're saved for a week or two or whatever, and they're dropping cuss words because they get mad. Well, you put your arm around the person and say, hey, let's, let's sit down and talk about this, you know, our, our, uh, and look at Scripture. The, the, our words should be pure and clean and those type of things. For a seasoned Christian, we know we, 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 don't, we don't have to worry uh, about that type of thing. We know how to keep our mouth shut, but we can say them in our head. We can say them in our heart. See, and for those of us, these guys, they knew how to put on that outward appearance and, and they knew how to look good and they knew how to get the praises of men. But their heart wasn't right. Listen, this is what you ought to do. You ought to pray that what people think you really are, you are. I want people to think that I walk with God. I hope that you want that for your pastor. <laughs> and I want a people that walk with God. I, I want to think the best of people. I want to think that, man, the people at Open Bible, they're all loving and they, they don't backstab each other. And they don't, you know, if you're a guest with our church, we don't do any of that. that, that if you come here to Open Bible, these people here, they're perfect. So if there's any problems when you get here, it's because of you, Right? <laughs> Now, you know that's a farce. But I want to think the best of the people that God has entrusted to me. And so when I say that you ought to pray that, that uh, you would become the person that people think that you are, that's called working on your character. See, we need to take this point of the internal and apply it to our lives. See, our Christian behavior and church appearance looks great on the outside, especially on Sundays. But how much do we spend on ourselves, indulging in material things and sensual appetites? And how much preparation do we take to look good to the world around us compared to the preparation that we take to develop the inner man? Cleanliness on the outside does not equal purity on the inside. We need to remember that though man looks on the outside, God sees the heart. See, I honestly believe that if we take care of the inside, the outside will take care of itself. It will. Because you have the same Holy Spirit that I have, and he will convict, and he will, he will mold, he will, he, will, he will direct us to live in a Christ-like manner. See, the first mark of hypocrisy in your life is a dirty inside. You know that there's known sin in your life. You know it. Secondly, you're, you are internally decaying or dead. We're taking a look at the, second, the first mark, self-diagnosis. Is there known sin in my life? Okay. Secondly, am I decaying or dead spiritually? 
The Bible says in verses 27 and 28, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whitest sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. When the spring rain stopped in Palestine, the Jews in New Testament times had a custom of whitewashing houses, walls, and, and more particularly, the, uh, the tombs. This took place, it started on March, it would be March 15th for us, be the month of Adar for them. But it'd be March 15th for us, that's when they started. And the reason they did it then was, number one, the, the rains had stopped, but this is so that their communities would look, would look more attractive for the Passover pilgrims that were coming into the city. There was also an additional reason for whitewashing the tombs because uh, those who were uh, part of uh, uh, living in Jerusalem, it would help protect them from ceremonial uncleanness. It, they would be like markers so you could see it. It didn't blend into the, to the ground. And the Jewish people were very careful not to touch or be around any dead body anything relating to a dead body because it would make them ceremonially unclean. You can find that in Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 and following. If they did this during this time, they remained unclean for seven days and then they could not partake in the Passover festivities. So the tombs were whitewashed to identify them to travelers, which would help them from inadvertently touching the tombs. And becoming unclean. One, uh, one commentary said it this way, the largest concentration of tombs from the time of the New Testament was on the Mount of Olives, just across from the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem to the east. There are three reasons for where, why this was. First, the whitish bedrock found on the Mount of Olives, a local, uh, a, a local type of limestone called sweet rock, is easily carved into the caves or tombs, but is generally too soft to be used as building blocks for houses. The second reason for this concentration of tombs was that, that this was an area easily accessible to a person living in Jerusalem and hence convenient for burials. And the third reason that this was the way it was in Jerusalem was because of a theological conviction that associates with the East, with the appearance of God, and it prompted the people to want to be buried in the direction of Christ's coming. What would happen is one year after the burial, after the flesh had decayed and only the bones were left, the bones were gathered together and placed into a small limestone box called ossuaries, which were then left in the tomb. In the ancient world, whitewash was, delivered, uh, was derived from lime, a white chalky residue of buried limestone. Now, here's the key. It was mixed with water. Here you go. This is why I gave this to you. It provided a thin covering quickly applied to structures such as houses, walls, or tombs to hide discoloration or defects. See, what was interesting if you would go to Jerusalem during this time, you would see the whitewashed tombs and the houses and the walls. And when the sunlight hit that city, 
of Jerusalem, it glistened because of that. It looked beautiful. What a graphic picture of a hypocrite. White and glistening on the outside. They look good. But on the inside, they're decaying or dead. Their life is full of defilement. What did Jesus say? He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. I want you to see something here. Proverbs chapter 4. We're taking a look at the marks of hypocrisy in our life. If we're more concerned about our reputation than our character, the first one is that we're internally dirty. The second one is that there is decay or death in our life. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, this is what the Bible says. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know what the Bible's saying? It's saying, keep watch over your heart. Paul told Timothy in the New Testament, he said, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. And he said it that way. He said, take heed to thyself and then the doctrine. The doctrine is the teaching. Paul emphasized to young Timothy, the young preacher, he said, look, you take heed to yourself even before you take heed to the doctrine. Why? Because he didn't want a false type of preacher up there preaching the word of God. And can I tell you this morning that God's not looking for good-looking Christians on the outside but, and, and having a, a, a life that's full of decay and death on the inside. God has talked about before in the New Testament about the type of worshipers that he wants. He wants worshipers that worship him. He calls them true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. That God's looking for that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm looking for people that not only look good on the outside, if you will, but are good on the inside. You ever hear somebody say, I just can't believe they did that. That's so out of character for them. You want to know why they did that? Because there was something wrong on the inside. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 10, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David, this is what David prayed after he was caught in that sin. David looked good on the outside. Nobody knew about David's sin. He still looked like the king, and he was the king. Everything looked fine in the palace, and, and everything looked really good for David until God revealed to the man of God that something wasn't right in the kitchen. Something was wrong. And so Nathan went to go approach David, and he tells the story uh, of this, of this uh, one farmer who had a bunch of sheep and, and another farmer who only had one sheep, and the one who had a bunch of sheep took the one sheep from the other farmer and the shepherd and, and uh, took and slew it for his own sacrifice. David said, whoever that man is, he's going to die. See, David was hiding it, man. He was hiding it. He couldn't even see that that parable was about him. He was so blind to his own sin. He had so much decay and death in his own life. He was so dirty internally. He not only slept with another man's wife, committed adultery, but he murdered another man and he lied. And he needed the man of God to come and open up the doors of his heart through the spirit of God and say, you are the man. And sometimes we need people in our lives that would love us and care about us and want to try and help us, but we need people in our lives who will walk up to us and then know us well enough to be able to say, you're the problem. 
His heart was defiled. These religious leaders, they looked good on the outside, but they were spiritually dead. You say, I'm not spiritually dead. No, you can tell if you're spiritually dead if you don't give any regard to God's word. See, I've often said, and I believe it's true, many Christians are, pra- are, are practical atheists. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm not saying that you're not saved, but you don't live as if God has any impact on your life from day to day. Like, God doesn't have any say in what I do. I mean, I'm glad I'm saved. I got my ticket out of hell. I got the fire escape going, and I'm glad for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But I'm going to live my life the way I live it. I mean, I don't want to be too fanatical for Jesus. I don't want to be too holy for Jesus. I, I don't want, I mean, I've got to live in a real world. Pastor Riddell, you just don't understand. It's the 21st century, and you've got to live in the real world. Well, if there was supposed to be an exception, my friend, Jesus would have put it in his book for the 21st century. This book was good for the 1st century, the 2nd century, the 3rd century, the 4th century. It's good for the 21st century. It's going to be good for the 22nd century if Jesus tarries, and the 45th century if Jesus tarries. This book will always be good, and holiness is always the right option. And when you don't give heed to the Word of God... You're dead spiritually. You say, what do you mean? You're living the life of hypocrite. I, I don't give much regard to the word of God. For what God wants and what God said. You, what, what do you mean? Be ye kind one to another. Well, pastor, you just don't understand the way that they spoke to me. It doesn't say that in the Bible, folks. It says to be kind to them. You say, well, I don't feel like being kind to them. I understand that. There's a lot of times I don't feel like being kind to some people in here. I told you before, I just want to reach out and touch you. But what does the Bible say? Do I live by my feelings or do I live by what the Word of God has to say? And it says, be kind. So I'm going to be kind. It also says, forgive one another. Oh, well, now. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, you know what? That's the way you want it. That I'm putting a proposal out here right now. All right, church, that's the way you want. You just don't understand. I got to figure that. You just don't understand. That I, this is what we're going to do. We're going to change the name of the church. We're not going to be called Open Bible Baptist Church anymore. We're going to be called Closed Bible Baptist Church. We're going to be Closed Bible Baptist Church because we only, want, we only forgive those people that haven't really hurt us. So we're going to be Closed Bible Baptist Church. For that fact of the matter, why don't we just be closed Baptist church? For that fact of the matter, why don't we just close the church? Because we're no better than anybody else at that point. We're living like the world. Not only does it say, it says, not only forgive one another, love one another. You know, I've dealt with marriages. And I'll tell them, say, well, the Bible says, uh, Pastor, I'm just, I've just fallen out of love. The Bible says that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I just, women, ladies, you're to love your husband, according to Titus. Well, I just, I, I'm not in love anymore. I said, okay, well, if you can't love him as a mate, then love him as your friend. The Bible says, love your friends. <laughs> well, I just, I, I don't know, Pastor. I just, I, I don't think this is going to work. I can't love him as a friend. So you can't love that brother, sister in Christ, to be able to help keep this marriage together as a friend. No. I said, well, then I got one more for you, what the Bible says. The Bible says, love your enemies. Yeah. 
it's because they don't want it to work in the first place. Because their heart is decayed, their heart is defiled. Their heart is dead. They, they don't want to give any regard to the word of God. Bible says pray for government. Well, my man's not in office. Pray for government. Bible says follow and respect authority. Bible says obey the laws of the land. The Bible says give to God's work. The Bible says share the gospel. The Bible says be faithful. The Bible says encourage one another. The Bible says don't gossip. The Bible says don't envy. The Bible says don't judge. The Bible says pray for one another. The Bible says to think best of one another. I don't know. I guess I could go on and on. But see, we don't want to think that we're defiled or dead. We don't want to think that we're decaying. But when we don't give regard to the word of God, we are no better than those Pharisees that Jesus was talking to because they did not give regard to the word of God. They followed it on the outside, but on the inside, it wasn't making any difference. When we live more like the world than we do followers of Christ, we're decaying on the inside. Just because you're clean externally does not make you clean internally. The marks of a hypocrite, you're dirty and you're decaying or dead internally. Number three, you're internally deceived. You are internally deceived. We see that in verses 29 through 33. Verses 29 through 33. He says, Well, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? During the New Testament times here, those tombs that were surrounding Jerusalem, there were certain ones that were clearly meant to be seen by others. These were tombs of prophets and of righteous saints. Basically, we would say heroes of Israel, or we might term it this way, heroes of the faith. The Pharisees knew that the prophets and saints had been persecuted and even killed by their own forefathers. That's what he's talking about there. He's not talking about their natural fathers. He's talking about their, their forefathers. And knowing this, the Pharisees, they made claims that if they were living at that time, they would not have partnered with their forefathers in killing the prophets. Now think about that. <laughs> think about what time we're in. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. They just said to Jesus, talk about being deceived. They just said to Jesus, how ironic. Jesus, I just want to let you know we would have never killed the prophets. But they're planning to kill Jesus on Friday. See, when your heart isn't right, you can't see clearly. You can't think clearly. When, when, there, when there's stuff going on inside the heart, that just doesn't make sense. You talk about hypocritical. Oh, we wouldn't have killed them. But yeah, come Friday, it's Wednesday now. Come Friday, you're going to be hanging on a cross. They were so self-deceived. Jesus said that their self-righteousness was exposing their true character. <clears throat> Maybe I'll just leave that one there. I'll just mention it again just so we get it. 
Their self-righteousness was exposing their true character. Jesus was warning of the sin of self-deception here in this passage by thinking that they were better than their forefathers. And he's also warning of the, of the sin of being blind to the actions that denigrate others. So they, were, they had two sins here that were going on. They were so deceived, thinking that they were better than others and then the denigration of others. It's the same coin, just two different sides. These men thought that they were better than others when they were not at all. Jesus calls them some pretty unkind things. He calls them serpents. He calls them a generation of vipers. If you remember, who is identified with the serpent? But Satan. And he was identifying them with Satan, uh, who, who is the serpent. And Jesus states that these men were so wicked that they would not be able to escape the judgment of God. See, and when, when our heart's not right, we become blind to the truth. And if we're not careful, we can set ourselves up as better than others and thinking, I'd never do that. That's exactly what the Pharisees were saying. All the while, holding known sin in your own life. What's the fourth mark here? The marks of a, of a hypocrite. You're dirty, you're decaying, or dead. You are deceived. But number four, you reject divine love. You reject divine love. We see this in verses 34 through 39. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the uh, blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Bacchus, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee. How oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus' objective here is always, is always for people to come to the saving knowledge of himself. Right here in that last few verses, we see the expression, the sincere expression of Jesus' love for his people. But instead of accepting divine invitation for salvation... They had refused the many opportunities that had been offered to them. I wonder if there's any in here this morning that, that don't know Christ, their personal Savior, but you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. And you've rejected the gospel over and over and over again. You may look fine on the outside, but you're rejecting divine love on the inside. Let me ask you a question. When? When are you? 
going to accept Christ? Another question, what's it going to take to get you to accept Christ? See, these Pharisees, they chose to stay in their religion. Instead of accepting the divine message of Jesus Christ. These national leaders had continually rejected the message that God had sent to them through the prophets and through the many messengers. They persecuted and even killed some. But Jesus, in his grace and in his love, came to them anyway. Knowing what he was going to go through just two days later. You say, well, did Jesus know that? Of course he knew it. So how do you know that? I can back it up from Scripture. Because when he was in the garden, what did he pray? He wanted the cup to pass from him. You can find throughout his life where he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. He knew what was going to happen, but Jesus came anyway. The whole issue of this is summed up like this from these verses. How often would I have dot, 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 and ye would not? They continually rejected the divine love and truth of the Word of God. And what you've heard today, you've heard divine truth from the Word of God. The question is, will you accept it or will you reject it? Some of you who don't know Christ as your personal Savior this morning, there is a God in heaven that sent Jesus Christ to be able to die on the cross for your sins. You're just not believing in a theological proposition here, but you're believing in a person, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, that he died according to the Scriptures and rose again, as the Scriptures stated. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. I not only trust the words that were written, but I trust the man that those words were written about, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, how many more times are you going to reject him? Are you going to be like those Pharisees? As Jesus said, you're going to die in your sins. Because nobody here can guarantee that you've got tomorrow. Nobody. Nobody. Percentages are pretty high, but you can't guarantee that you've got tomorrow. You're either going to reject him or accept him. For those of you who know Christ... You can reject divine love as well. You reject divine love by, by rejecting divine truth. God is showing you his love by the truth that he is giving you. You say, what do you mean by that? For example, if you are a parent and you were to tell your child that didn't know any better, you were to tell your child, it's okay to go play on Black Horse Pike. Go ahead. Would you say that that's loving? No. 
But if you told your child the truth, you said, it's not okay for you to go play on the Black Horse Pike. It's dangerous. You could get killed. You could get hurt. And they look up at you and say, well, you don't love me. They have no clue, do they? You know what so many times we do? God says, you shouldn't do this. You need to do this. You need to change this. You ought to be convicted of this. You need to confess this. You need to move on. This is the way that you ought to live. You shouldn't do that. All this kind of stuff. We say, well, you just don't love me. Oh, you just don't know what they did to me. Or you just don't know my circumstances. Isn't that idiotic that we would say that to an omniscient God? So you too can reject divine love by rejecting divine truth. So let me ask you something. You looking good this morning? I mean, are you looking good? Oh, I know you're looking good on the outside. But how about if we took all this off? Would you be looking good on the inside? I should have probably worn an old shirt to be able to press this home to you and cut it up and kept my jacket buttoned the whole message. So that that way you wouldn't have known that my shirt was all cut up. But then when I took my jacket off, you would have seen that my jacket was hiding what the shirt really looked like. You know what happens to so many of us? The outward is hiding what we really look like.